What's up, everybody? I'm Dr. Peter Bolden. And I'm Dr. Craig Spodek, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Simply the best podcast in dentistry designed to help you maximize your practice and your life through four pillars of success. Leadership, team culture, marketing, and financial freedom, and everything in between. Now, let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Today, we have another exciting guest who's been, a, who's been on before, someone Craig and I are extremely fond of, and he's now helping the dental industry. It's Peter Malouk, who's president of Creative Planning. And uh, we're going to talk about good stuff today in light of all this, this cloud of 2020 that seems to be so confusing. So, uh, Peter, we're, ex- we're excited to get you on today to, to help clear the air and Give us, give us light in this, uh, in this uncertain times. Yeah. It's um, good to be with you guys again. Yeah. Exciting. Exciting. The last podcast we did had such great, you know, we got such great reaction from having you on. So I'm really glad that you're here again, man. You guys are like celebrities in your space. I love, I, lo- I love it. So it's good. Everyone knows who you guys are. It's great to be on your show. Yeah. When you see, when you have guests that's, that call us celebrities, that's why we bring, <laughs> you, back. We bring you back. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ingratiate the host. Always never a bad idea. Um, well, thank you for that. But, uh, also just a little bit of background. If you don't know who Peter Maluk is, um, best-selling author, uh, God, you got, uh, I, I know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but 52 billion under asset management assets under management, which is quite large. And, um, you know, just a great thinker. I know you through Tony Robbins and, uh, congratulations on the brand new book, the path just debuted what less than a month ago and i'm just reading yeah. the reviews it sounds like an awesome book i'm excited to dig into that when i get a big road trip i'll be going through uh, uh next week so i'll be going right through that book all right well good if you have the audio you're gonna have to listen to me for like a couple hours so wait so you did the audio peter <laughs> i did the audio somebody said it was a good idea and about eight chapters in i wasn't so sure but it, you know it was it was fun in retrospect to, to do one that way I Good. did. I did our audio for. Our, I did our audible for our book. It was. I literally said to Peter for three days. Like, just yeah, I was like, do this. Yeah, I thought it was going to take like three hours, just kind of bang it out, and like you don't realize how many misspeaks you do, and yep. get your energy up, and <laughs> oh, it was so torture. It was so much torture for me. I'll never do that again. <laughs> Too funny. Yeah, me either. I think that was a one and done. Yeah, well, you never know. You you got two really big books out there, so you never know what's going to happen. But I'm excited. And then Tony actually narrated the other portion of it, correct? I think he did one. He did a chapter of it. Yes. Okay, got it. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. So, so uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Peter. Sorry, nothing. So, so Peter, what? Since last we spoke, obviously the world has been. You know, there's been a lot of uh, it's been tumultuous to, to say the least, right? We've had we've had a pandemic, um, we've had you know a crazy election, and I think people are just feeling. I think there's never been a sentiment of more uncertain times, whether that be in the financial space, whether that be in the political space, whether that be what's our future look like. Um, can you give and you and you're obviously your ear is to the ground when you manage. $52 billion, you probably know a lot more than, than, than most common folk, right? And Craig and I. <laughs> so sure. one of the chapters in your book, you kind of talk about, and we don't have to get into this, there's no particular order in what we talk about. But, you know, I think that what I wanted you to talk about was kind of, you know, the, the light right now and, and the world is better than you think, which is chapter two. Um, and Craig, you had talked about maybe just getting some insight on, you know, the market, right? 
Yeah. And just some, so Peter, let's take this wherever you feel like, you know, where, wherever you feel like this would be the most impactful for the listeners right now, especially given the dental context, maybe. Well, Peter, I think it's great to start where you point out the, the chapter in the book where I talk about things are better than everyone thinks they are. The reason I put that in there isn't just to make people feel good, which is a good side effect, but you kind of need a generally stable world for investing to work out. You know, you, mm -hmm. you need you need to know that your you know local Chipotle is not going to get you know blown over uh, in a in a war. You know mm -hmm. that happens to be in your backyard. And so I start just to level set the world we live in today because everyone thinks, oh, we're, it's a political apocalypse and we're regressing in so many ways and we're more divided than ever and the economy is more bleak than ever and the world is at war and all of that. And so I just kind of start with well, where are we really? And believe it or not, we're living at one of the most peaceful times mm -hmm. in all of human existence. You're less likely to die in a war now across the world, not just in the United States, than about any point in human history. It's incredible um, how much the, the probability of that has gone down. Even in a world with a recent pandemic, you're less likely uh, to die of a, a virus or a, a, a disease than at about any time wow. in human history. Uh, the reason we're so stunned by the recent pandemic is because uh, we got spoiled at not mm -hmm. having them. They, we used to have stuff like this all the time that killed us. And the reason we don't is because of the incredible advances uh, with technology and biology and medical care that make it surprising that even anything like this could happen again. And look, it happened. And, you know, within a very, very short period of time, you have several uh, vaccines. vaccines. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's really stunning, you know, the progress from a medical perspective. When I talk to you know, doctors, particularly those in the, in the fields of neurology and, and cardiology, they talk about how in the last 15 years they've learned more about the heart and the brain than in all of previous mm -hmm. uh, history uh, combined. And I think the, the reason these things are important is, is there, what, what, what is driving those things? Part of it is technology and innovation that are changing our quality of life. So someone who is growing up in poverty now, and poverty is terrible and there's great discrepancy, I mean, that we can come back to that. Someone growing up in poverty now is living a better quality of life than a king in England 150 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just no debate uh, about that. And so things have progressed so much, uh, but what's happened at the same time is we're getting news around the clock and you're able to get micro information you know, when we, well, when I grew up, you guys are you're younger than me. Oh, no, we, I'm older than you, Peter. Yeah, we would, damn it, that's even worse. <laughs> you look that much younger than me. But the, the reason, you know, when we would have uh, Seinfeld on, everyone watched it. You know, you went to work and everyone watched There were common experiences because there weren't that many challenges to choose from, that channels to choose from. Today, there are so many that a leading show would have a tiny, tiny segment. It would have been canceled you know, back in the 80s or 90s, but that share today would be a leading show. We've lost our common experiences because of all that specialization. That specialization is a result of technology and innovation. So we're living a better quality of life than ever. We're living a healthier life than ever. We're living a safer existence than ever. That's the kind of world where businesses thrive, uh, but the information's coming at us differently. 
you sound a lot like uh, someone I follow. I'm sure he's probably your friend who's, who's one of my uh, just idols is Peter Diamandis. And, and yeah. kind of, you know, he wrote that book a long time ago. And I changed the trajectory of the way I thought about things. He wrote that abundance. And, and he talks about what you're talking about, like right now, like we, you know, it seems like a daunting time we live in, but it's the safest, most prosperous, you know, most peaceful time. And, and the future is bright, meaning that you're the longevity of life, the advancements in healthcare. And you mentioned that your doctors um, talk about the volume of, of information. And that actually, that volume of information from the dawn of time to now will double again, that volume will double again in a year and a half in the medical space. And it is being, and it, and it's, and it's advancing faster and faster and faster because of AI and supercomputing and quantum and all that stuff. So it really is a, is a cool thing. The advancements happen, you know, not just linearly, they happen, they start happening on a log scale. Right. And so it's, uh, it's fascinating to just even, it's mind blowing. It's hard to even keep track of, but I love that you're giving light to the the space because uh, I think the news has tainted and they keep seeming to have to, if it bleeds, it reads and they have to make it bleed a little bit more. And then you're not getting people's attention. So make it bleed a little bit more and more and (laughs) before you know it, you're just inundated with millions of messages of, oh my gosh, the world is either at war from a, from a political standpoint, or, you know, we're all going to die from a pandemic or whatever. And so it's, I love that you that you started the book with with light is all I'm can say. Anyway, well, I hate right. the way all that negativity bleeds into investing. You know, so if you think about the way people feel about money, they the, the way they feel about money is really rooted in their childhood. So mm-hmm. when they when they're young, they they grew up in a place where money was scarce, and there might have been this scarcity feeling. They're scared to lose it. They can't spend it, uh, or they have an unhealthy relationship with money. They get it and they spend it. They get it and they spend it. And so when you start to add fear and division and all of that, you layer that on what people are thinking, they start to make mistakes. And I mean, I remember after every election, doesn't matter, President Obama, President Trump, uh, now President Biden, there's always those few calls of I'm going to cash, this is terrible, the world's going to end. And where does all this uh, fear come from that translates into making these terrible uh, portfolio mistakes? Mm-hmm. Uh, or the idea that somehow, you know, everything with investing is going to be totally different. You really have to pull it back and go, well, let's talk about real companies. Is Nike still going to sell shoes uh, with President Obama or President Trump or President Biden? Of course they are. Mm-hmm. You know, is McDonald's still, is people still going to get breakfast at McDonald's? Of course they will. Do your kids still want to go to Disney World? Yes, they do. Um, so some of those companies can come and go. But until you can change that narrative of what's really going to happen with those companies, you really shouldn't be changing the way you think about investing. That's great advice. I was actually walking with my mother this morning and talking about the same thing. It was, it was, she's in town visiting. And I was saying, you know, every time it seems like every change of, of presidents, you get that, well, oh my gosh, this, this little amount of uncertainty. But I looked back, just like you said, and I was like, you know, I thought my life was going to change at this president. And it really didn't. I thought it was going to change at this president. It really didn't. And everything kind of stays the same, but we paint this, this, this picture of, oh my gosh, fear of loss or fear of something in our minds. Um, so yeah. we're always looking for causation too. So it's such an easy thing to point out oh, the election. I'm going to go. And that, that whole idea about I'm going to go to cash. There's so many people, there's so many wealth and planners that wealth advisors and planners that will actually tell you, this is the time to go to cash. Yes. Like it's crazy. And I think I remember reading in, I think in the first book where you said, like, if anybody ever tells you that, that's like, it should be a tell. Because yes. how do you how do you know? And if you and and what's that statistic you you cite that if you would have invested on the worst possible day, can you can you give that that yeah. little soundbite? You're the worst investor in the world. I mean, you pick, pick your pick the crisis. You know, the the day before nine eleven, the day before the tech bubble, the day before the 0809 crisis, the day before the pandemic. 
you know, all those previous ones besides the pandemic, your money has tripled or quadrupled. Uh, and now even from the pandemic, you know, we're up a lot. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, half Nine a year ago. ago. Yeah. So, so yeah. you know, people are always like, well, I'm waiting for that entry point. The entry point is right now. The entry point's right now because the market moves up about 75% of years every year, 75% of the time. If you're there for three years, it's 93% of the time. So every day you wait, the odds are moving against you. They're just moving against you. So quit waiting for entry points as you get money invested, as you get money invested and you'll come out ahead over the long run. I think when people see like all time highs, Peter, they get, they get scared that, Oh, this is a bubble. It's going to pop. Right. And, and because we're in this crazy, you know, with the good news of vaccines and stuff coming in the market and the market, you know, even today, it's probably going to have a great day because of Moderna's vaccine. And so I think people get like, well, wait, it looks frothy here. I'm not going to invest. And you're saying, you know, the best time to invest was yesterday. Always, you know, you can say that every day, the best time was yesterday. Um, And the market hits an all time high once every 19 days. And the way I explain it, you know, to our clients is I said, well, a Hershey's bar sometimes goes on sale, but in general, we expect the price of the Hershey's bar to go up. Same with the box of cornflakes, same with the value meal at McDonald's. If you think the price of those things is going to be lower five years from now, by, you know, by all means, (laughs) then, then, then don't invest in the stock market. But if you believe that those things are going to cost more five years from now, uh, that same wave uh, impacts the market returns. But like sale prices, the funny thing is, is when the Hershey's bar does go on sale, people stock up on Hershey's bars. When right. the market <laughs> collapses, no one yeah. wants to buy. When things right. go on sale in the market, that's yeah. when people don't buy. That's right. It's the one thing no one wants to buy when it's on sale. They always want to pay a premium for it. It's the one thing they want to pay a premium for every time. The the biggest outflows in 2020 were in the first three weeks of March. So the most money leaving the markets this year were hmm. during the worst uh, month of the year. And so all that money went to cash. Of course, then to March, the market took off and really hasn't looked back since then. You know, most of that cash didn't work its way, way back in, creating permanent harm, permanent damage. Peter, can I ask you uh, another thing that I've been dying to, I've been waiting to ask you on this. Does the, does the, the ratio, or I should say the, the debt to GDP ratio, does that, is that scary at all? Has that been times when it's fluctuated? Because right now it's like over 135%. Does that, can you, can you talk about that? You know, so I would look at it two ways. So part, part of it is you have to look at it at that loan again. What is it against? So a lot of people say, oh, the United States is that you know, prints this money and it has nothing to back it up. Well, that's not true. The United States owns uh, huge amounts of land, huge amounts of energy reserves, huge amounts uh, of gold. Uh, the, the United States has real assets. And when you look at the loan against the, the assets of the United States, yes, the loan is at an all-time high. Um, just like say a, a house gets bigger and bigger in value and the loan, you keep borrowing against it and goes higher and higher. The key isn't how big the loan is, is how sustainable it is. And there, there's two, way, two ways to look at it. So one, we know there is collateral, right? It's not just, we're yeah. not Zimbabwe where we're printing money and there's nothing to back it no up. No assets. I never thought about the assets. Yeah, but, continue, but sorry. This, yeah, but the, the second part is, let's say that you've got a house that's a million dollars and you've borrowed 500,000 against it at 6%. Uh, and instead today, you're borrowing a full million three even. You're borrowing more than the value of the house. But now it's 1%. The cost of you carrying your home loan is lower than it's ever been. Mm. You're, you're less likely to have a problem now. Well, the 10-year treasury, the US 10-year treasury, the US is normally used to borrowing at is 6.4%. 
Today, it averages less than 1%. It's the U.S. can carry this debt all day long at this rate. Now, I don't want to like be too Pollyannish about this. There is one problem. And the problem is that some of our debt is re a recurring problem. So when you look at uh, Medicare, Social Security, the pharmaceutical drug plan, you start to add to these things and you don't have some kind of revenue to offset it, you have a problem, right? So under Republicans and Democrats, they've added these programs. Once those programs are in, no one debates them. You know, we talk about paying for college today like it would end the world, but everyone has no problem with Social Security. You tell anybody in either party you're taking their Social Security away, they're going to go crazy. Well, that's socialism, right? It's called social security, right? We're taking money from everybody, giving it to everybody. If you keep adding programs like that and you don't have revenue to offset it, eventually things don't work out. Um, but right yeah, now- socialism, it's a good idea until you run out of other people's money, right? Isn't that a famous- yeah, You've got to have a way to match them up. And, and, and right now, Congress has shown us they can pass these plans and say they're going to pay for them, but then they don't ultimately pay for them. And we keep adding, it's not that the debt is high, but that it's expanding, okay? That we're expanding it every year and eventually we have to stop expanding it. But it's totally sustainable where it is right now at the rates that it's at today. That's great to hear. That's good to hear. That's yeah, because again, the news beats you up on the, yeah. you know, never been a higher debt market. There's never been, I mean, look never at what been, the never news, been. Look know? at the, what the news does. This is such an interesting psychological conversation. We're all living in fear. You know, the, the idea that we're less likely to die of some form of illness today, even with the pandemic than ever before. And, and also from a safety standpoint, like my, my wife is always very concerned about our kids playing the street. I, I think many people feel their kids are less safe. Yeah. And I'm actually, while we're talking, I'm like looking up like murder rates per hundred thousand people for the 25 to 30 largest cities from 1990 to 2020, it's drastically down. Child abductions are drastically down from when we used to play in the street and we're all feeling really unsafe. Peter, we, we grew up and you know, we're, the, we're yeah. a little older than you, but we grew up in, in the back seat of cars that didn't have seat belts. Like remember when the mom would take the yeah. corner and slide around, you'd be sliding, around. You'd be sliding, sliding around. all the way around. I mean, like, like literally. How, like, how did we live? How, how did, did we, we survive live? that? We never had bike helmets. No. You know, the thought that your child would go on a bike without a bike helmet right now would be. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's negligent. It's it child be, negligence. It, it would be. So here we have all these factors that are driving our fear and factors that are marketing to us that we're, we're, we need to be scared. And, and face it, there's a lot of things that can be sold when people are scared. And now we have people that are making their own decisions about their financial future that we can clearly show them with, with evidence are, is really bad for them. So how do we stop this? I mean, we're, this podcast is not going to reach enough people <laughs> to, to erase this trend. What are some things that people can do? You know, because uh, be before we answer that question, we have to we have to talk about the predatory nature of some of the you know of what's going on as well. And and Dennis, I want to talk about Dennis, and then I'll let you answer the question of what what can we do? Dentistry, unfortunately, we get really abused. Both Peter and I had someone in our lives independent of each other, two different people that sold us a lot of singular plan type of life insurance that was really not a well-balanced plan. Everybody knows that there's probably some portion of life insurance they should carry. But if that's your only financial investment, that's your only way to get ahead, it, it's yeah. not going to be really fair. And that's also highly commissioned. And, and dentists, unfortunately, spend more every year. And we're finding ourselves as, as an industry 
really unable to retire at the appropriate time. So it's a big question, but how, what can we do or what can the listener do um, to offset the tendency to make wrong decisions, emotional decisions, and also speak to the dentist as well? What can they do to be able to safely retire at the end of their careers? So I think you start with the baseline that you, you've got to accept reality that, re, that in reality, we're living at the best time to ever exist. Get yourself educated on that. You know, if we want to read my book, The Path, great. There's a bunch of books on it. You know, Peter mentioned Abundance is a great book on it. Just get yourself educated on what an incredible uh, time we're living in. I mean, we've got more people coming out of poverty than any time in history. More people are literate than any time in history. Longest longevity at any time in history. All of these things that we've talked about, you have to start with that baseline. Uh, then second, know why the media counters that baseline. And they counter it because they're public companies. NBC, ABC, CNN, Fox, all these companies are parts of a publicly traded company. Share, publicly traded company executives have one legal obligation. And that legal obligation, that primary legal, legal obligation is to make money for their shareholders. That's, that's their job. When the people at Fox and CNN and everywhere else go to work, their job is to make money for their shareholders. How do all of these places make money? It's not the news. It's selling ads. Mm -hmm. right? How do you sell ads? You have to show how many people are watching. How do you get people to watch? You have to create anxiety. Okay, more people watch the Weather Channel when things are horrible than when things are okay. The ratings of all these stations are way down post-election because anxiety levels you know, down on, on both sides, it seems. And so they have to manufacture anxiety. This is why you get countdown clocks, like countdown to the sequester, countdown to the fiscal cliff, countdown coronavirus count, all these things, anything to keep your attention in this narrative because your eyeballs are for sale. That's what they're selling. They're not selling you news. They're selling ads uh, to ad buyers. And so they are motivated to create viewership. People are seven times more likely to respond to negative news than positive news. Wow. Politicians aren't naturally negative. They're following the science. They run negative ads because you're more likely to listen to a negative story. So you, you have to accept how good things are and know why people are motivated to tell you things are horrible. Mm -hmm. That's a really important baseline. That's 80% of it. Once you have that, you go, you know what? I'm living in a time. Why is this a great time? Because of innovation and technology. You know, Peter was talking about the doubling of knowledge every couple of years. It's because of innovation and technology. We know now, no matter how negative we are, we know in the back of our minds that our kids and grandkids are going to live in a world we cannot imagine. They're going to watch movies the way we watch movies with horse and buggies, right? They're going to watch movies and go, people drove? How barbaric. Car wrecks? What are you talking about? What, what, how did that even happen? Cancer? You, that's what caused cancer. That's how easy it was to treat. They're going to figure all this stuff out, right? And so we're living in a time where we have innovation and technology. You need two things for an economy to work well, innovation and technology. We're living in the best time ever for that. I think mean, anyone can argue with that. And then people to buy stuff, demographics. And there's this myth that the country is aging and the world is aging and it's not true. The average age in the United States is in the thirties, not in the seventies, like people think it is. And so when you start to look and say, what is it that's driving all this? We've got people to buy stuff. We have 1.2 billion people emerging from poverty all over the world. Over 50% of the earnings from the S&P 500, the biggest companies in the United States, are now coming overseas. McDonald's is opening more restaurants overseas than in the United States. Walmart's opening more 
stores overseas in the United States. So even if you're not feeling great about Toledo, Ohio, you should feel good about Beijing, right? And India. People are going to buy stuff. These billion two coming out of poverty, these people that couldn't read before, that didn't have internet access, they're going to buy stuff, right? So innovation and technology, we have people coming out of, out of poverty. So now we have this positive economic wave, probably the greatest time in history to invest. That doesn't mean there's not going to be bear markets and crashes, right? I talk about that a lot in every book, because if it was easy, everyone would invest. There'd be no good return, right? It needs to scare some people for you to make money. That's so awesome. coronavirus happens, everybody bails. 9-11 happens, everybody bails. But you know what? Everyone bails the stock market, but they still go do whatever they were going to do. You know, they still, still go, go to Chipotle. <laughs> right. And so that the market just keeps doing what it does. And those people that get scared because they don't have these baseline, you know, mental fixations you need to have to succeed, they transfer their wealth to you. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the key is to understand that the, mar- the markets are going to respond to the media because the, the markets are just a bunch of people. And a lot of people get scared really easily. But the smart money keeps investing, keeps buying, stays in and wins. That's so brilliant the way you have this ability to just take these just very complex situations and chunk them out. I, I love yeah. it. And, and, and it's true. It's like you're, you're speaking these, you know, all these statistics and I'm like, I'm shocked by them. I'm shocked about 1.2 billion people emerging out of poverty. I'm shocked that be, that there's more stores being opened up overseas, more McDonald's. I'm shocked. I never even thought of Walmart, more Walmarts opening up outside of America than here. You know, I just, and it, it's just, it's incredible because I am certain, or at least I, I'm sure you have statistics about this confidence of the average American is probably at a very, as at a, as at a low. Yeah. We're all inconfident about our future. We're all scared. We're really scared. So if the media's job is to scare the bejesus out of us because they, they need to get eyeballs, where does it end? I mean, <laughs> where does it end? Right. Here. I think that it's, it's interesting because we think about like uh, the perception. If you ask the average American, what's the average age of an American? They say 65. It's actually 39. You know, globally, you ask people, what's the average age? They say the 60s. But you look at India, it's 37. Saudi Arabia, it's 37. South Africa, it's 33. People are just confused about what's in the real world, what's what's really happening versus what they have in their mind. Because they keep hearing about these systems are going to collapse. These systems are, here's why they're going to collapse. You hear, for example, we're running out of land, right? But everybody in the world could fit in Texas. Now, Texas would have to have the density of Manhattan. I don't think anyone would want to live in a state uh, that was that dense all the way across straight. But the point is we're not running out of land and we're not running out of the production from land. We're producing, for example, more grain today per person than we were doing 50 years ago with less land because of innovation and technology. So I think we, we have this, our minds want to want to believe in scarcity and we're living in a world that's quite the opposite. We don't want to always count on innovation and technology to bail us out, but but let's just face it, that's what's happening. Whether you look at energy or food production or our literacy around the world, technology is driving this. We want to say it's politics and everything else, but what's bringing people out of poverty is it's technology, it's innovation. What's the opposing force? What's, what's on this side of facts and understanding? What, where, where, I mean, because we all know the media is not going to do it. And unfortunately, your voice isn't large enough to do it. We don't have leaders that are doing it. So yeah. where, does it, where does the opposing force come from? 
So I don't, I'll, the tell, truth. You what my, the truth I'll tell you what my thought is, and I'm going to use, I think, something everyone can relate to. So if you think about living in the United States and, and you, and you can get caught up on social media channels or on TV where they'll talk to you about how horrible it is for the middle, the middle class of the United States. Let me just give you a snapshot of the 50s to today. In the 50s, the average American lived in a 980, 000, or 980 square foot home. Today, it's 2,400 square feet. One in two owned a home back then just 55%. Today it's 80%. Back then, 10% owned a TV. It cost $2,100 adjusted for inflation. Today, 95% do. $500 average cost. Only 41% graduated from high school. Today, 88%. Back then, average life expectancy, 68 years. Today, 78 years. 50% of senior citizens were living in poverty. Today, 9%. 75% of African-Americans living in poverty. Today, 27%. At, this is this is unbelievable to me. Wow. Average years Holy in God. retirement back then, zero. Okay, because people lived less and worked longer. Today, average years in retirement is twelve years. It's night is night and day. What I think is causing it is we do have more disparity than we've ever had before. Right, the gap between Jeff Bezos and his employees working in the factory mm-hmm. is very very significant. Yes, we had the Carnegies and the Col- and the Rockefellers. But there were a few of them. Today and the Carnegies have- and the Rockefellers, by the way, Peter, the Carne- Carnegies and the Rockefellers didn't have Instagram to show you right. how much <laughs> your life sucks. Yeah, they weren't like, the like Rockefellers exactly. were you life. heard about them, right. Yeah, but there were only just- a few of them. You know, today there's, you know, today there's a thousand, right, of these, of these people. And it's certainly a few hundred where you can say if you take this top one one thousand percent, it's more than the bottom 50 percent. And that's true. And boy, disparity really plays to human emotions. I mean, you can look at Jeff Bezos and you could say, well, wait a second, because of him, poor people now have stuff delivered to their door for less cost than they used to have to go to their local stores, yeah. right? I mean, it's a tax break for the middle and lower class. Walmart was a tax break for the middle and lower class, right? You got stuff, it cost you less. It, it paid less for toilet paper, you paid less for toys if you went to Walmart than if you did at the stores before Walmart. So it made Sam Walton very rich, but improved the quality of life of a lot of people. Amazon improves the quality of life of a lot of people. Steve Jobs improved the quality of life of a lot of people, right? You can do this with almost all of these billionaires, not all of them, almost all of them did something that's improved our quality of life. That's why we all move towards it. Like Elon Musk, everyone wants to hate him for a lot of reasons, but let's face it, the world is better. He might be a little off. He might be a little bit crazy, but the world is cleaner and it's going to be safer and it's driving and in, in this innovation, innovation technology is going to be rewarded. He's going to be yeah. a multi-billionaire. And does he make more than the bottom 10,000 people his company put together? Yes, he does. He does. And, and people hate that, right? Because we live in a world of comparison and to your point, Craig, it's so easy to compare now, right? We just click a oh, few yeah. buttons and it's in our face. And so we, we mistake that disparity for quality of life. It, it, and your quality of life is not dependent on somebody else's, right? If I can make your quality of life twice as good five years from now, you should be happy. But if mine becomes 10 times better, you're not going to be happy. And so I think that's the, that's the problem. And we're demonizing that group of people. At the end of the day, the estate tax captures those people, right? Bill Gates and Warren Buffett don't get to take that money to heaven or hell with them, right? It's going to stay here. And it's going to either go to the United States government or it's going to go to charity. That's how it works. A lot of people think there's a million different ways to get out of that tax. There's not. 
right? So what is Gates and Buffett doing? They're leaving almost all of it to charities. So, you know, to me, I look at it, I look at the quality of life of the average person. You want to see that get better. And if there's some outliers like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos that have this tremendous reward because of it for their life, and that's it, I'm okay with that. Uh, but, but that's what I think creates this tension where we feel like we're not living a better life because, yeah, it's not as good as mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos on his yacht in the Mediterranean. And we're all, you know, home quarantining. Yeah, and there's a mic, those micro, I mean, obviously you pulled out the Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musks of the world, but, you know, social media shows your, your inner circle and the guy that, you know, you're making 50 grand, the other guy's making 300 and he gets to see the spoils of his life. And the $300,000 guy has a friend that's making six and the six 1.2. And it's, it is, it's a, it's the, you know, disease of more. And um, it's, it's actually a really scary place. And we deal with a lot of Peter and I get the chance to meet a lot of successful people that are really, really unhappy and are want something that we have. And Peter and I have a great relationship and the fact that we can bounce stuff off of each other. Like, Hey, let's, let's be grateful here. Let's, let's focus mm-hmm. on what's really important because it's not, you're, you're never going to get happy by achieving something else. If you're not happy now, the journey is not going to make you happy. Yeah, c- comparison's the death of happiness. I think that's yeah. a human condition. And if you look at the happiness studies around the world, the happiest people seem to be in some of the European countries and in some places in Africa and India that are the poorest, the very poorest without plumbing. But the, the reasoning that the researchers have that they interpret is that everyone's in it together. You know, you're all in the same thing. If you're in that European country where everyone has healthcare, everyone has eight weeks off, there's a lot of regulations. So there might not be that many people that can, can do much better than you because taxes bring it back down, seem to be happier. Uh, trudging to a river to get dirty water, no healthcare, but everybody's in it with you. Uh, seem to be happier. And Craig, you start to talk about some people, you know, um, they're not happy. The big, the big difference tends to be they're looking at somebody else that's successfully running five different locations or has sold to a PE firm or whatever break they got. And, and that's an American phenomenon because capitalism creates that. Capitalism is more likely to create Jeff Bezos on Elon Musk because you will get rewarded in a big way if you are able to do something that is valued, that people are willing to pay for. 100%. And that creates disparity. And so this innovation and technology that improves everyone's quality of life is the same thing that plays to this thief of happiness comparison. And so it's, it's an interesting tension we have. I don't think it's a coincidence that we have more Nobel Prize winners That's than anybody else on Earth. Right? We have here. more Nobel Prize winners than anyone else on Earth, not because we're smarter, Right. That would be a pretty racist thing to say. I mean, the Americans aren't smarter. We're just people from all over the world. It's the system. It's disproportionate reward. If you're really good, my parents were from Egypt. They came here because they wanted to be disproportionately rewarded for their hard work. Right. They wanted to or proportionately, depending on how yeah, you look. Exactly, at it, right? exactly they wanted to come here and go, hey, if I'm going to work five times harder, I want to do five times as well. And so. You know, if they're in Egypt, they were not going to get uh, five times rewarded uh, at all uh, for working five times harder or studying five times harder. And so it's interesting that it, what's improving the quality of life of the whole world is this innovation in the United States. But that same thing creates, creates this uh, disparity here. That's the, that's the thief of joy, you know, as you, as you were bringing up earlier, Craig. 
It's wild. So, so just to, on a personal note, what drove you, what drove you to do what you've done? Like where, what was, what was the driving factors that drove you to do, to do? There this? were a couple of different events, but the big one was my dad. He frankly got screwed, you know, by people. Um, he wound up with insurance policies that didn't make sense for him an annuity that didn't make sense for him. Will, when he should have had a trust, didn't know what he, he was going from advisor to advisor, didn't know what was going on. The first person I hired in our firm, Molly, she, she got into the profession. She was in college or her advisor at a brokerage house had put them in some proprietary products and went to cash after the tech bubble. Her dad wound up having to work you know, 10 years longer than he would have normally had to. I mean, there's a lot of us that have that kind of story um, that, that got us into this independent wealth management side where you're, you're doing investments without commissions and you're avoiding, you don't have products to sell. You don't have investment products to sell, right? You're just trying to come up with whatever's best for the client, try to do it in plain English, try to do everything in one place. And be goal oriented, not product oriented. You know, what are you trying to do, and how do I increase the odds of you being able to do it? Um, I get a lot. That by far, my favorite thing to do is to sit with somebody and help them do that, create that clear path, uh, clear path to where they want to go. And I think of my my parents and how what it would be like for them. They're they're clients, thankfully, but what it would be like for them to you know uh, if they weren't. If, if there was no creative planning and I want creative planning to be fill that void. I want it to fill that void of how do I help you get from here to there? How do I take you as you are with all the facts and circumstances that you've got and get you where you want to go? Yeah. And you know, and it's beautiful thing is that that's pretty pervasive. I love that you, you had a personal story that made you create something and make it easy for everyone. So they didn't get screwed over. And like Craig was alluding to, it seems to happen in dentistry a lot. And so I love that creative planning now has an offshoot, you know, with dental financial freedom, because it's so, you know, you guys have an offshoot for that just for dentists, because it's such a pervasive problem. And like Craig alluded to a lot of our colleagues can't, can't retire when they want to, right. Because of poor choices that have been made or, or, um, what am I trying to say, Craig, like a parasitic attack, but, uh, well, I mean, predator, predatory kind of practices. That well, been- I mean, listen, dentists, were relationship people. We don't bargain. We don't ask hard questions because we don't frankly like when patients ask that of us, if you come in, you broke a tooth and you tell, and, and, and you told your dentist, Hey, instead of it being 550, can you do it for 250? <laughs> we, we don't like that. We, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we don't like to ask those hard questions. We right. value relationships. We go. And, and, and fortunately, a lot of these people buy us donuts and we go golfing with them and they've been in our lives for 20 years and we're not confrontational type or business type people where we're constantly reevaluating relationships where we should be. Um, yeah, I agree. And I, you know, my dad's a physician and it's the same exact, it's the same exact thing. You also operate, operate in a, wor- a world that's healing and nurturing, right? Yeah. So it attracts a certain type of person to it. And financial uh, advice is not a world of finance. It's a world of sales. Okay? Most yeah. people in finance did not go get a finance degree or a financial planning degree or an investment degree, they defaulted into sales and they, they're selling a financial product and calling themselves a financial advisor. And, you know, that's why we set up a specialty practice for, for dentists. I think they've got all the tools in place to accomplish whatever they want to accomplish. They've got a good education. They've got a great career path. They've got a good income. And it's really one of those, it's like tennis. You know, there's some games you play to win, in some games, you play to not lose. You know, the person that wins in tennis is the person that makes the least mistakes. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily need to go out there and, and crush it. You just need to not make the mistakes. A dentist is starting there. That's a much better position than most Americans are starting at. There are certain things a dentist can do that if they just do them with discipline, they're going to get where they want to go. And But you can get derailed very easily. You divert 
10 years of savings into the wrong product and that's it. You know what I mean? Like that one, one hour decision can derail the whole, the whole thing. And so I think really knowing the basics and getting the basics done month in and month out, month in and month out, you will be on a path to success. Then if you want to do something a little different, you know, figure out what you have that's in excess of what you need to hit your goals. And by all means, you know, go swing for the fences with something, but just have a plan to get where you need to go. Cause you've already done the hard part. You've got the education, you've, you've got the career, you've got the income to make things happen and, and just focus on making them happen and then take the risks with anything above that that you want. All right. All right. We hope everyone is getting massive value from listening to this podcast. If you are, we're going to ask a couple things in return. First, review us on iTunes. If you don't know how to do that, the easiest way is to pick up your phone, open the podcast app, click on the album art, and then scroll all the way through the episodes and you'll see review at the bottom. Go ahead and bang out the stars that we deserve. Second thing, if you haven't signed up for our text uh, list to get notified of special offers or the next summit or whatever it may be, uh, make sure to text the words bulletproof to 33777. That's 33777 and the word is bulletproof. Third thing is we've got the book, as most of you all know, but we've also got the audible version that Dr. Spodak spent three days in studio and it was an arduous task and he crushed it. He really should be an audible book episode. That's it, everyone. Hope you're having a great day and we'll see you soon. All right. So talking about risk, Peter, as we end this podcast, I know you're short on time. Since we spoke last, it was November 2019. And I've taken a lot of criticism for being a fan of, of Bitcoin and having an asymmetric risk. <laughs> you knew <laughs> hold on, hold on. But you since knew then, it. we've you had some, some, some people that are, you know, in your space that have come out. You know, you've got the Paul Tudor Jones and the Stan, yeah. Stanley Drunken. It's a lot of people that have been Raul Paul, Jack Dorsey. PayPal just released it to all of their users. So are you still, users. are you, are, we, are you, uh, so that was November, 2019. Has your stance changed at all? Do you think it's possibly going to be a store of value or, or is it still just this crazy, crazy magic internet money to you? So obviously Bitcoin's been crushing it. So congratulations, Peter. So here's been my <laughs> thing from the beginning. So I wrote a letter on this maybe four years ago. My position's unchanged. 3000 cryptocurrencies, at the time, a lot of them were really big, not just Bitcoin, Ripple and everything else. I said 99.9% .9 of these are going well, to same. zero. Exactly. I stand by that. 99.9 are going to zero. <laughs> maybe a few of them will prevail. It probably won't be Bitcoin, uh, but maybe one of them will work out. To me, it's a bet. It's speculative. Uh, it's not producing income. Um, and maybe one of them will work out and maybe one of them will be Bitcoin. But sometimes that leader that looks so formidable, AOL or Lycos or Excite, it's not, it's not Google. And so we'll see, you know, we, we will see. Um, yeah. But I'm not, uh, I'm not putting my money in it. I don't advise people to buy it. I couldn't, um, I couldn't have this podcast go without, because it right. was such a funny point last time. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to ask him again, just to, just for the repeat uh, listeners there. I have to ask yeah. him again. Well, he's, 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 He's teased me so much, by the way. We went on stage in LA with a bunch of dentists. He had this big old Bitcoin shirt and I was ragging on him on stage. The whole thing's videoed. It was $3,000 at that point. So it was really yeah. easy to kick me. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a, and well. I, I took no, I took, I didn't take, I took every shot I could on him. And, 
he, he taunts me periodically with that. So no, well, I told him I said, get on stage with him now because of the pandemic. So you've got a little <laughs> exactly. We'll see what happens. Well, exactly. Peter, I taunt him with this one line. I said, look, and he kept going at me. And I said, look, history is going to prove one of us correct. You know, it might be That's you. Right. It might be me. So That's right. You know, who knows? It's going to unfold. We'll, we'll see what happens. That's right. Yeah. Well, Peter, thank you so much for your time. I know you've got, you've got lots of stuff on your agenda today. And I thank you for taking the time to, to speak with us and helping out Dennis like you do. And, um, you know, everyone, I encourage you all to check out dentalfinancialfreedom.com and just schedule a call. If it's something that you feel like if you want, you know, a lot of your needs handled in one comprehensive place, I encourage everyone to, uh, to check it out. Thank right. you, Peter. Thank you, Craig. And thank you so much for the, uh, I mean, I know this was a financial, this is meant to be financial, but just the psychology of accepting reality that Peter and I were both just blown away. Yeah. with that. So thank you for so that. Great. This is definitely one that I'm going to want to go back and re-listen to periodically just to get a true baseline on what's really happening in the world. It's a much more, a much more gratitude filled. Future reality. is bright, right? <laughs> the future Enjoy. is bright. Future is as bright. bright as your teeth. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> good to see All you right. guys. Have a Thanks good one, man. Thanks, Peter. Take care. Bye.